Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. And verse 1. Are you ready? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Who led him? Spirit. Not an evil spirit. Good spirit. The same Holy Spirit that came on him in the form of a dove is the same Spirit that's leading Jesus in this moment. Led him by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit of God... Is leading Jesus, where is he leading him? To a wilderness, a place of despair, a place of loneliness, a place of isolation, a place of hopelessness. Spirit, how many came to get encouraged this morning? The Spirit <laughs> um, is leading him to a wilderness. Why? To be tempted. This, this is one of those verses in the Bible that I think we don't like very much because it really doesn't make a lot of sense when you just look at it for what it is initially. That the Spirit of God would lead Jesus to a bad place for a worse purpose. That the Spirit of God would lead Jesus to a wilderness. Why? For the purpose of being tempted. This is one of those scriptures. I thought we should do a series called Scriptures That Suck. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, this would be one that I would put this in there because initially we look at this and we're like, God, move. God, guide me. God, direct me. But when we say that in our mind, we actually have a preconceived idea of where we want Him to take us. And so often it's not a wilderness. And it's certainly not a wilderness where we're going to be tempted. But let's keep reading. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said to him, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become Chick-fil-A. That's what my, my version says. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up. See, the strategy now changes. The devil comes at him one way. Jesus shuts it down and then here's the second way. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of a temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands you shall, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. See, now the enemy is now quoting scripture to Jesus. Strategy again changes where Jesus shuts him down and says again, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The enemy comes back again a third time. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus says, at this point, Jesus is like done. He's like had enough. Jesus just says, away with you. Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I want to look, backtrack to that first verse again and start as we look at this um, story that we know of the, the uh, temptation 
if you like, of Jesus. It begins by saying, firstly, that Jesus was led by the Spirit. We talked about at the start that this is the Spirit of God is leading Jesus. I want you to get this as a picture. It doesn't say the Spirit of God was pushing Jesus to something. It says the Spirit of God was going before Jesus into the wilderness and leading Jesus into the wilderness. I don't know what the Spirit saw in the wilderness, but whatever it was, when the Spirit of God got into the wilderness, the Spirit decided that the wilderness was the perfect setting for Him to lead Jesus into that moment in order to do the work that He wanted to do. Was something, there was something about this wilderness that appealed to the Spirit of God so much so that the Spirit said, I'm gonna lead you, Jesus, into this wilderness. We can be encouraged simply by that thought as we remember that the Word tells us that anywhere we go, God goes before us. So if you find yourself in a difficult place and in a hard place, you've got to take faith this morning knowing that God went before you, He surveyed the land and the only reason He allowed you to get into that wilderness you're in is because He knows that you can handle it. Tell someone you can handle it. The Spirit, the Spirit got there before you did. Whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, that attack that seemed to get you out of left field completely by surprise. It did not surprise your God because He was there before you got there and He decided, you know what? She's strong enough. He's strong enough. This thing's not gonna beat her. In fact, we're gonna do a work in this wilderness. That's what I wanna talk about this morning. Work your wilderness. Work your wilderness. Can we pray just real quickly? Lord, I thank You that You're here. Thank You for every person. I pray that, that You would uh, do something by Your Spirit that a sermon can't do and that a message can't do. I pray that You would help us, Lord, to open our hearts. God, we don't wanna leave here the same. We wanna leave here different. Pray that You would shape us and that You would mold us so that we can be more like You in Your awesome, awesome name. Amen. Uh, Caressa and I, a while back, decided that we were going to be one of those uh, workout couples. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever had that, that conversation with your spouse? You're like, you know what? That's what we're going to be. You know, we're going to go and we're going to get kitted out in all of our Nike gear. and We're, we're going to be one of those you know, fit workout couples. We went and joined this gym and, uh, and we signed up to this gym. This was a while back. And we signed up to this gym that that maybe you remember of a gym similar to this. It's a really, really nice gym. It's a nice gym. When you walk into the lobby, everything is set out really nice. There is the subtle aroma of eucalyptus in the lobby when you walk in. There is a team of very sharp 
people behind the desk that are waiting to greet you with a big smile and scan your little pass and direct you to where the workout equipment is. Do you know what I'm talking about? You walk in, there are flowers everywhere. There are plasma screens everywhere. You go into the gym and if you don't feel like working out straight away, you can actually go to the spa. That's right, the spa that's in the gym. This guy was showing us, he's showing us around the gym and all of the different things. This gym has a swimming pool outside. If you don't feel like working out, that's okay. You can go and lounge beside the pool. There are staff out beside the pool that will actually wait on you. If you get hungry, listen to me, if you get hungry while you're laying out beside the pool, don't worry, because they actually have a sushi bar. That's right, a sushi bar where they will... Serve you fresh sushi. Did you forget your towel? No problem. They have towels wrapped in the tightest little, tiny little sphere shape that are stacked perfectly. You might know what I'm talking about. That you could go and you can actually grab a towel. But if you don't want a regular towel, under the regular towels, there's a little fridge. That's right. That you can open up. And in there, there are towels that they have pre-soaked in eucalyptus-scented, icy cold water just for you to use. It gets better, it gets better. You go into the men's locker room, there is every possible amenity you could imagine on the counter for you to use. You go out into the workout area and there is all brand new equipment. Here's my problem with this gym. Whenever I go there, the last thing that I feel like doing when I walk into that atmosphere on the face of the earth is working out. I don't want to, when, I, when, I, when I'm arriving, I'm pumped. I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You ever have to psych yourself? I'm like, come on, come on. As soon as I walk in there and the music's on, like, you know what? Let's just chill. Do a few stretches today. I had a friend recently, a while back, I'm sorry, that he was a workout guy, like, like, a, like a bodybuilder guy. You know this type? A weightlifter. He said to me a few years back, he said, let's go to the gym. I said, all right. Let's, I don't know why I did that, hey. I said, let, I said, let's go to the gym. I said, what gym are we going to? He says, I'm going to the gym that I go to. I said, okay, cool. I said, what's it called? He says, it's called Gold's. Gold's Gym. I said, all right, let's go to Gold's Gym. Let me tell you something about Gold's Gym. When you walk into Gold's Gym, there is no subtle aroma of eucalyptus wafting through the lobby of Gold's Gym. There's not, oh, there's not. There's not a nice team of people behind the counter with a smile on their face waiting to greet you. Let me tell you what is waiting to greet you. A 250 pound man drinking a protein shake and eating a burrito because he's only had 200 pounds of protein that day and he still needs to get another 100 grams of protein in before the day is out. You'll be lucky if he gives you a grunt. He will then point you to where the locker room is. 
You'll walk into the locker room. Listen, a locker room of a gold's gym. There are no amenities for you to use. The locker room, the men's locker room of a gold's gym is not dissimilar to the bathrooms shown in the Shawshank Redemption. Once you leave the men's locker room, you will walk out then into the workout area. There are no beautifully luxurious, handcrafted, up-to-date, elliptical machines in a gold's gym. You're lucky if there's a pile of bricks and a chain with a slab of concrete and a sign that says, work it out yourself. (laughs) But do you wanna know what I noticed? I'd watched a few documentaries about bodybuilders. I'd seen a few documentaries about weightlifters and guys that would go to the gym and lift these big weights to grow. And every time I would watch one of these documentaries, I never saw these weightlifters and bodybuilders working out in a luxurious atmosphere. I always saw them in the equivalent to a gold's gym because there's something about environments that we're in that there are certain environments that are more conducive to our growth than other environments. That there are certain environments that you get into that you may not like and it might not feel real nice and it might not be the most comfortable. But I want to tell you more often than not, it's those environments that grow you better than the ones we feel nice in. They are more conducive to our growth. The same way in the natural, it's the same in the spirit. That while we talk about wilderness in our life, that while we talk about situations in our life that we wish were different, situations that we find ourselves walking through, I wanna tell you as much as you may hate the wilderness that you feel like you are in and that you feel like you are dealing with, there is a way in which you can work that wilderness to your advantage. What you do in the wilderness will determine what the wilderness will do to you. Your wilderness can make or break you. There is in fact a way for you to work your wilderness. I put it like this, the growth is in the grind. And one of the fears that I think we have in the Western church, in our Western society is we've given into the temptation to make church so nice and so comfortable that we all feel good on Sunday, but no one grows. We create this atmosphere and this environment. And hear me, I think it's awesome. We need to have a standard of excellence in the church in how we do things, but let's not get so excellent and so comfortable that we forget that we're here to grow, to be mould, to be shaped so we can walk out different to how we came in. It's time for some of us to say, you know what? I didn't come here to just sit. I came here to grind. I came to get in an atmosphere where I can change. 
That's what the Spirit saw in the wilderness. The Spirit got to the wilderness and said, you know what? This is perfect. This is perfect. Even, isn't it a crazy thought that Jesus, who is the Son of God, still had to go through a wilderness. The Spirit got to the wilderness and said, I love this. This is great because you know what? His family that he's so close to is not here. Let's put him there. His friends that he hangs out with is not here. His hometown that he's familiar with is not here. The people that he's even called to reach and that he will in fact step into reaching, they're not here either. There's something about isolating him right now that's gonna grow him to be what he's called to be out there, but I gotta do it while I'm working him in the wilderness. It's a choice that we make because the reality is every single person, doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been in church or how long you haven't been in church. Whether you're in a wilderness right now, been through one before, whatever it might be, I promise you, if you're not in one now, then one will come up. I'm not preaching doom and gloom, I'm just preaching life. But you have a choice. You're either gonna work your wilderness or your wilderness will work you. It's a choice we make to say, you know what? I'm not gonna allow this wilderness to dictate the level of my faith. I'm gonna work this wilderness. I'm gonna take everything that the enemy meant for evil to try and hold me back. And I'm gonna use this atmosphere that's hard, that's tough, that's a grind. I'm gonna take it for every single thing it is to grow my prayer life, to teach me what real praise is, to teach me what it is, to get in the Word of God, to teach me what it is, to give, to teach me what it is, to live like I'm in victory even when I don't feel it. I'm making in a decision that I'm going to work this thing to the glory of God. Tell someone, work it. Say, you've got to work your wilderness. Don't let your wilderness work you. I want to give you real quickly four ways. Four ways to work your wilderness. Are you with me? I've got 15 minutes and 50 seconds. You got faith? You're going to need it. Jesus, this first Wilderness that we're reading about in, in Matthew, Jesus faces this attack. The enemy comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, you're hungry. See, his flesh is weak because he's fasted for 40 days. The enemy knows where to hit you in that place of weakness. He's fasted 40 days. And the enemy comes. And the enemy comes to attack his flesh to get his flesh man to take over, his spirit man to just give in, his flesh man to take over. And he says, why don't you uh, turn these stones to bread? Why don't you give in to your flesh right now? And Jesus says to him, we know it, he says, uh, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. The first thing that I wrote down that I want you to get if you're taking notes is uh, in the wilderness, you'll learn the power of his word. You'll learn the power of his word. Now, when I say that, initially, when I've read this verse before, I've thought what happened here in the story is the enemy came to, to, Satan came to Jesus and Jesus spoke the word 
against Satan. We know the word is the sword of the spirit. Jesus spoke the word against Satan to shut down Satan's attack. If you look closer at what Jesus actually said, you'll see that Jesus didn't in fact do that. Because if you look at who he addresses in the scripture that Jesus quotes, he doesn't address Satan, he addresses man. Satan is coming to attack Jesus. But Jesus speaks the word and he starts by addressing not Satan, but addressing man. See, he was God, he was all God, but he was all man. What does this teach us here? Sometimes the greatest way to work your wilderness is not just, yes, it's in this, but it's not just declaring the Word of God against your enemy, but it's declaring the Word of God over yourself. Because in this moment, Jesus sees the attack coming and the attack is coming, where is it coming to? It's coming to His flesh man. Because the attack is saying, flesh man, why don't you just eat the bread? Flesh man, why don't you just give in to this temptation? Flesh man, why don't you look at that website? Flesh man, why don't you think those thoughts? Flesh man, why don't you allow yourself to get hurt and bitter? Flesh man, why don't you talk that way about that person? And Jesus recognises the flesh man that's being attacked and He speaks to His flesh man and reminds His flesh that you don't live by bread alone. Alone, but you live by every mouth that proceeds out of the word mouth, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus tells his flesh man to get up and live according to the word of God. How do you work your wilderness? You've got to know what it is to preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. You've got to bring that flesh into submission. You've got to speak over your flesh, man, and say, you're not going to do what you feel like doing today. I know we're all holy and it's all pretty and we're singing Kumbaya on a Sunday morning, but the reality is tomorrow, your flesh, man, is going to want to lead you and you've got to know what it is to speak over your flesh and say, you are not going to guide me and direct me today. You're going to come under the submission of the power of God and the Word of God and my spirit is going to lead me. Work, work your wilderness. You've got to know what it is to speak the Word of God over yourself. I bind my mind to the mind of Christ. I speak over my heart. I speak over my thinking. I command my flesh we're so quick to come against every demonic attack that's coming against us. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do that'll work your wilderness is when you start to preach the Word of God to yourself. Remind your flesh who's in control. Remind your flesh who's running the show. Second thing we see, another wilderness that we know of is a wilderness that David, David found himself in so many different wildernesses. David was... We know David, he was the shepherd boy. He came and was anointed king in front of his brothers. Anointed king in front of his family that left him, that forgot about him, that didn't want anything to do with him. David is brought before these brothers, before this family, and they anoint him king. But then where does David go? Doesn't go to a throne. Doesn't go to a palace. He goes 
to the wilderness. Because he's anointed. See, we're anointed in public, but our authority comes in private. Because when David stepped out onto the battlefield, where did he get the authority to take out Goliath? Because you remember when Saul said to David, you can't do this, bro, you're just a kid. And he said, no, 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 but I remember when I was a kid, where? In the wilderness, that I learned what it was to take a sling and a stone. And if God delivered me in the wilderness, where I got my authority, I'm gonna use that same strength and that same authority to give me the victory right now. He learnt it, where? When he learnt to work, his wilderness. He could, have, he could have gotten bitter in the wilderness. Then when the opportunity for the fight came, he would have had no authority to draw from. But he got the anointing in public, but he got his authority in private while he was working his wilderness. But if you follow David, David, poor dude, he goes from there and then he gets some favour and then they're all like, he's the man. He spoke to Goliath and he's doing awesome and he's got some favour with the king. But then the king goes a bit crazy, turns on him, hates him. Now the king is chasing after him. If you follow David's story, David spends the better part of a decade of his 20s in wilderness with the king. Hang on a second, the same king that was there when David took out Goliath, now is the same king that's turned against him and chasing him back to, forced him into another wilderness. But look at what happens when David's in the wilderness in 1 Samuel 22 and verse one, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam was in the wilderness. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. This is where David's mighty men are formed. David's mighty men, the dudes that would become his closest, the dudes that would fight closest with him were gathered to him while he was in a wilderness. One of the things that will happen when you start to work your wilderness, it'll be while you're working your wilderness that you'll realise the people that you need. Because there are people that wanna be your friend while you're standing up walking in victory. But when all hell comes against you and you got no money and you got no connections and you got no opportunities and you look around in the middle of a wilderness and there's still people standing beside you, that is what you can call, what the Bible calls good company. Where the people that are there with you in the wilderness. But also look at this, David gathered dudes that were not typically what would be his first pick. It says, it, it didn't, when we read it, it didn't sound like the, the you know, um, the cream of the crop, did it really? Um, the, the dudes that were, every guy that was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone that was discontented gathered together. The deadbeats, the morons, the idiots, all gathered because, listen, what happens in the wilderness, when you start to work your wilderness, God will bring you not necessarily what you want, but what you need. See, sometimes when we're in a wilderness, 
Sometimes when we're feeling under it, sometimes when we're feeling beat down and we're having a little pity party, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I'm in those moments, actually sometimes I just want someone to come and have a pity party with me. That might be what I want, but that's not what I need because in those moments, I need someone that's got some backbone, that's not trying to just talk sweet to me and please me and tell me what I wanna hear. I need someone that has the boldness to give me a slap and say, get up from where you are. You're not called to stay here. When you're in a wilderness and you wanna start working it to your advantage, you need to ask God to bring the people Not just that you want, but the people you need. Look at someone beside you and say, I need you. I don't always want you, but I need you. I need you sometimes to give me a shake. I need you sometimes to push me around. I need you sometimes to give me the straight talk. I don't need you to always tell me what I wanna hear, what sounds cute and what looks nice. Sometimes I need you to just tell me, stop being an idiot, pick yourself up and start walking in the call of God. Start to work your wilderness. Are you still with me? Five minutes left, keep praying. Here we go. You learn the power of his, of his word, power of his word. You learn the people that you need. And you learn also, you learn the purpose of your calling. They all start with P. Just did that for you, just to make it easier. The purpose, the purpose of your calling. Esther, the story of Esther, we wouldn't typically. Talk about Esther as someone that went into a wilderness. Because we think of, if you think of the story of Esther, she was a peasant girl. And she was selected by the king to go from being a peasant girl to the palace. But I want to put to you that the palace for Esther was a wilderness. Because often a wilderness can be something that you're just totally unfamiliar with. Esther's taken from her family put to serve an evil king living in absolute fear because you can have everything in the natural that you want and still be broken on the inside. You might have the nicest car, be the member of the best country club, but still be living in a wilderness every single day because your marriage is falling apart and your kids are away from God. Walking in a wilderness may look like a blessing on the outside, but be a curse on the inside. So Esther is in this wilderness palace that looks pretty. It's got all the glitz and glamour. And then what happens in the story is Mordecai comes to her. Mordecai tells her of a situation going on with her people. What Mordecai is doing while she's in a wilderness is he's presenting to her what her calling is. He's saying to her in a sense, You're in a wilderness, but it's in your wilderness that I'm going to reveal to you why you have been put there. That there is a calling, there is a purpose to your pain right now. That God didn't just bring you there for no reason. Esther, God didn't just bring you from a peasant girl to a palace just to look cute. There's a calling upon your life and that moment is right Now, this is what Mordecai says to her. In fact, he says to her, if you don't stand up, then help will arise from another place. 
It's a challenge to Esther and a challenge to all of us that a calling is not something that God owes us. It's something that I get to do. And if I don't step up into my calling, He will move me aside and pick somebody else. Don't think ourselves better because we're chosen by God. Think ourselves humble that we get to do what God's called us to do. And don't waste time doing it. Step up and be what God's called us to be. I get to. I get to be called by God. I get to be positioned in my plan and the purpose and the destiny that's upon my life. He does not owe me a single thing. He does not owe me any. He did everything on the cross. Sometimes we talk about it like it's my right. It's not your right. You gave up your rights when you got saved. Paul said, I take up my cross daily. I don't own a thing. It all belongs to Jesus. All my purpose, all my gifting, it's all His for His glory. I get to do this. I get to do this. And, and, and Esther struggles with this and she says, I can't do it. He says, if you don't step up, someone else is gonna do it. And that's when Esther realises that a calling because she says this, she said, I'm going to do this. And she says this amazing, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. She says, I'm going before the king. And if I perish, I perish. That's where it shifts for Esther, where she recognises that her calling is actually not about her. That her calling is nothing to do with establishing herself but establishing His kingdom. Moses understood the same thing again when Moses walked out of Egypt, out to Midian, he walked out into a wilderness, had an encounter with God, started to work. His wilderness had an encounter with God and God said, I've called you. And what he says is, I can't. He said, I can't do it because I've got a starter. That's when he realised and God said to him, paraphrasing, but God said, don't worry, because your calling is not about you. You understand, you learn in the wilderness, you learn the purpose of your calling. See, some of you, the reason you feel like you're in a wilderness, the wilderness you're in right now is actually not a wilderness that God led you into. It's a wilderness that you created by wanting something that was outside of His will for your life. See, some people say, well, I'm in a wilderness because, man, I'm called to the ministry and the doors are not opening. It's a wilderness you created. Maybe you're not called to the ministry. Maybe you're called to be a businessman. And you've created your own wilderness and now you're stuck in this wilderness because you just got confused about your calling. That's not what you're called to do. You've got to come under the covering of God and say, Lord, you tell me, you guide me, you direct me. Is knowing what it is to get, get the purpose, the purpose of your calling. And lastly, Real quickly, firstly, it's the power of His Word. It's the people that you need. It's the purpose of your calling. And in the wilderness, you learn the patience, patience in the promise. Patience in the promise. What has God promised you? Not, not like what cool idea did you come up with, but what's a promise that's written in the Word of God? He's promised me. 
Joseph knew what it was to be patient. We know the story of Joseph. Brothers went to kill him. In fact, in Genesis 37, 22, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, which is in the wilderness. Joseph had every opportunity where he could have allowed his wilderness to work him. But because he was patient in the promise, he was able to work his wilderness. Because you have to understand that in the wilderness, there's a process that God is working in us that often it's not what we like, but it's what we need. Because we get so focused upon what we want to do, what we want to get. But the wilderness deals with who we are. Because if we can allow the wilderness and we can work the wilderness to help grow who we are, it'll then give us the character we need to be what it is we're called to be. It's much easier to get married than it is to be a husband. It's much easier to have a kid than it is to be a dad. And we have a society that is so all about get this and get that and do this. I want to do that. You know what? Stop and have patience in the process and let yourself get moulded and shaped and changed And where is it going to happen? It's not going to happen in a nice place. It's going to happen in a wilderness. But if you come in with that mindset of saying, I'm going to work this wilderness to my advantage so that I can establish the Kingdom of God, you'll work it and it won't work you. It's the wilderness. Because the story that we know only too well of the Israelites Where did that first generation of the Israelites die? In the wilderness. Joshua said it in 5 verse 4, and this reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war had died in the wilderness. Are you working your wilderness or is your wilderness working you. You might be going through hell. You might be dealing with difficult situation financially in your business, hurt, brokenness in your family. Regardless of your wilderness, there are three wildernesses or reasons rather we can find ourselves in a wilderness. One is where we have been led by God there, which is what we see in Jesus. Another is a wilderness, much like David's, where it's forced upon us because of something that someone has done that we find ourselves in the predicament that we're in. Or the third reason is a wilderness that we chose of our own accord because of our own mistakes. Elijah found himself in one of those wildernesses that actually said after Queen Jezebel came out after him. And uh, Elijah, the Bible says that Elijah um, in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, but he himself, he himself 
went a day's journey into the wilderness. Regardless of how you got to a wilderness, it actually doesn't matter because Romans 8 and verse 28, it says, but we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. So it doesn't matter why you're in that wilderness you're in right now. The God that you love and serve is able to work that wilderness to your advantage. Joseph put it like this after going through all of those years of battling and dealing with a wilderness. At the very end, and we know the Scripture only too well, Joseph said, the enemy meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. The enemy thought he was bringing a wilderness to try and hold me back. But while he was doing that, the Spirit of God taught me what it was to work that wilderness and get the most out of it I can possibly get. So I'm different walking out the back end than I was walking in the front end. How do you do it? You work your wilderness. Say that with me. Work your wilderness. Right across this room. Can we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.